work hard, play hard. Watch what you eat. Don't forget to sleep. Oh, and hit the gym four times a week. We know what we're supposed to do, but how do you make it happen when life gets in the way? This is our attempt at turning the expert's advice into daily habits. This This is Making Life Fit. There's no question that we've both gone down the internet rabbit hole in search of answers on a variety of topics. Or shopping sprees. Mm -hmm. What was the last rabbit hole you went down? Well, those who know me also know my love of murder mysteries. And I spent a long time recently digging into theories and reading updates on the cases that were featured in the Unsolved Mysteries reboot. That's on Netflix right now. But I think my feelings on this topic are for another podcast for another day that I might create. (laughs) I'll join you on that one because I still... Unsolved Mysteries... Mind blown. Yes. And very curious what to see what comes of them. Yes. Anyway, you can easily go down the rabbit hole in search of answers when it comes to food or fitness and general health. Mm-hmm. But today, we're hoping to save you a little time and internet bandwidth by talking about some of the most common healthy life advice and whether the research says that it is fact or fluff. Yeah, we did our internet sleuthing and Googling and read up on opinions from some of the most accredited physicians, scientists, nutritionists, physical trainers, etc. to summarize their findings. Because reminder, while we're out here trying to make life fit, we're not doctors. So please make sure to do your own research, talk to your doctor before you start any fitness plan, significant health changes, etc. But to get things started, what piece of advice are we going with first? I think this piece of advice is particularly relevant to you, Lisa. Mm-hmm. The question of how much water should you drink oh, in a day? Come on. I know how much you love your water. <laughs> One of the most common recommendations that you hear is eight glasses a day, which is usually 64 ounces. But some recommendations will go all the way up to a gallon a day. I feel like these are all arbitrary numbers. I've even heard before that you're supposed to drink half of your body weight in ounces. And that just sounds like so much to me. So I know my answer won't be good on average. But how much water do you drink a day? I'm usually around a gallon of liquid. And that includes tea, water, LaCroix. How much time are you spent peeing per day? You've been around me. You know the answer to that. (laughs) Well, I guess if you can count other drinks besides strictly water, I'm still not even in the high range remotely. Most days I just drink a coffee for breakfast, a LaCroix at lunch, and maybe a glass of wine or beer at dinner. And that's basically it. So clearly something I need to work on is my water intake. But what does the research say we should be drinking? Don't worry, I can handle it. You can handle the truth? Yes. Can you handle the truth? (laughs) Actually, you'll like the research, because based on what we found, there really isn't a single amount that can apply to anyone. There's a lot of different factors in your lifestyle that will impact how much water you should be drinking. Things like exercise, overall health, if you're pregnant, also environment. So if you're hot and sweating, you will need more water than if you're in Michigan in January. Yeah, I get that. Obviously, on hotter days or if you're exerting a lot of energy, drinking water and things like that sounds a lot more appealing than when it's like really cold or anything like that. Right. And you still need to be taking that in. And even I'm really bad about drinking especially colder water when it's cold outside. Yeah. It's just not appealing. So in conclusion, I really like the Mayo Clinic summary on this topic. You are most likely properly hydrated if you rarely feel thirsty and your urine is colorless or very light yellow. 
They also had some good tips for getting your consistent fluid intake. One of these is drink water or some other calorie-free or low-calorie drink before, during, and in between meals. So before you have a meal, take a big glass of water. Before, during, and after exercise, which when I run, I do not carry water because that won't go well for me. Mm -hmm. But I do make sure to have water before and after. Mm -hmm. The other one, and this is a really good tip in general health, is if you feel hungry to drink a glass of water first because our brain often mixes up the signals between hunger and thirst. Okay. That's a good tip. So we touched on it a little bit when talking about water, but let's get into another one of those factor fluffed, and it's my favorite drink, one of them, coffee. So what about the common adage that it dehydrates you, factor fluff? Caffeine is a mild diuretic, which means that it stimulates your kidneys to flush out extra water and sodium. So it can look like it's going to increase your risk of dehydration. But in reality, this isn't necessarily a fact. Unless you are drinking an obscene amount of coffee, which would come with its own set of concerns, you are not gesting enough caffeine to dehydrate yourself solely based on coffee. That water that the coffee is in also hydrates you. Define obscene amounts of coffee. I mean, I had a coworker that drank at least 40 ounces of coffee a day. That's probably obscene. I don't think that either one of us, especially me, will ever be at risk at consuming enough coffee to dehydrate ourselves. But the world can be proud of the fact that I have been drinking Starbucks Nitro cold brew without anything added to it. And I just bought espresso from Coffee Over Cardio. Oh, welcome to the dark side. We have caffeine. Tea has caffeine. Not the same amount. True. (laughs) Back to the topic at hand. So when it comes to coffee, we know it doesn't dehydrate you. But what we do know is there can be increased risks to health, specifically your heart, when you're drinking six or more cups of coffee per day. And that's according to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So like most things, enjoy moderation. Yes, exactly. Ooh, let's do this one next on our list. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. This is a great one for us to tackle because I am a breakfast person, but you really aren't. No, I usually don't partake in breakfast, at least during the week. A little different now that quarantine has started, but back when I was commuting to the office, I just didn't have time or want to make the time in the morning to eat breakfast. So usually my breakfast, if I am having anything, is the form of coffee with some protein powder mixed in or honestly just coffee by itself. I just found that I get hungrier for lunch sooner when I eat breakfast, which probably sounds counterintuitive, but it's something that I just noticed, so I don't like having it. Well, this is an interesting one because you do hear breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And so we did look into where does that logic come from? And essentially, it's based on the idea that eating breakfast will jumpstart your metabolism and tell your body that there is plenty of fuel for the day. It also should help your blood sugar stabilize for the day. However, when we dug into this a little bit deeper, the research on this area is actually pretty mixed. There are studies that argue for the benefits of breakfast, but there are also those that show no correlation. Many of the studies in favor of breakfast did not necessarily account for socioeconomic or other lifestyle factors, which, as an analyst, I say, tisk tisk. You need a valid study. Agree. There's so many studies out there that totally aren't valid or are using small sample sizes, and I think this is probably a great example of that. So it sounds like something you could work on next. 
Maybe it'll be my next research project. (laughs) So what you eat for breakfast and throughout the day in general is more important than the time. So even if I eat right away when I get up, if I'm eating low quality food, there is likely no benefit over skipping breakfast entirely. Now, you mentioned time. I I will jump in here and say in terms of intermittent fasting, if that is something you're doing, this is the only place where timing does matter. So, you know, in terms of holding your hours and and keeping that fast going. So, but there are a wide variety of options when it comes to intermittent fasting and finding that right fasting period for you. For example, there was a University of Alabama study that showed stronger success in an early eight-hour fasting period, for example, from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., over a 12-hour period from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But again, like we just mentioned, small study, more research needs to be done. I guess there needs to be a whole research, you know, set up by, I don't know, Kellogg's or something. They probably would jump right on that. Although I don't know if I would 100% trust the results. Right. They're a little biased (laughs) there. Conflict of interest. Yeah. So conclusion, this is not a fact, not necessarily fluff. Yeah. In general, your fuel needs will depend on your lifestyle and activity levels and when you're partaking in that activity. So if any meal is the most important, we think it should be brunch. Ooh, mimosas included. I heard there's vitamin C and orange juice. I say yes, but maybe not every day. (laughs) Well, this one sounds just a lot like even water that we talked about, right? It's kind of based on you individually as a person, and there's not like a set rule that applies to every person on earth. But brunch is still the best to everyone. Yes, brunch is fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so this next one bugs me. I hate seeing it all over my social news feed. It's about detoxes and the fact that you can detox your body with like a diet or a juice cleanse. Or lemonade and cayenne pepper. Yes, the Beyonce diet, right? So before we get into it, for those who don't know, detoxes are popular dieting strategies. They come in the form of shakes or juices, or sometimes it's up to total like fasting and starvation. And they claim to facilitate this elimination of toxins from your body or waste that accumulates over time. And there are thousands of products and programs out there that are claiming to clear out the nasty junk that's hanging out in your body. Newsflash, there are two very important organs in your body who do this for you. It's their sole job the liver, and the kidneys. And according to Harvard Med and the Mayo Clinic, there's little proof that any of these detox products do much in the way of removing toxins from the body. Yeah, in fact, the risk of some of those detox diets or the products that you may have seen, you could have hanger, number one, for not eating for three days. Mm -hmm. That might upset some people. (laughs) You can have cramping, dehydration or fiber issues if you're used to eating a lot of vegetables or fruits and then going from not having anything except for celery. Mm -hmm. The British Dietetic Association also says that extreme fasting can lead to protein and vitamin deficiencies, electrolyte imbalance, lactic acidosis, and even death. (laughs) Big reason not to do it. This goes for colon cleanses too, by the way. I know it's not a detox per se, but... Uh, people who want to do those, there's been a thorough review of studies done on this practice by researchers at Georgetown University, and they found zero scientific support in the practice of detoxifying your colon. So they actually say they do more harm than good. So just don't spend the $300 to get diarrhea. Do it the right way. $300? Some of these programs cost that much. Wow. 
So the truth is, most of the detox programs require you to cut out processed foods, which will generally make you feel better even if you aren't being sustained but only by juice. Yeah, so I guess our takeaway here is detoxes are fluff. Your body does a pretty good job of getting rid of the things that shouldn't be in it as long as you don't continually put those things into your body. And before you start any program or product, consider cutting out things like processed foods, drinks, and see how you feel. And as always, like we talked about at the top of the show, talk to your doctor before starting any new diet plan or product. Okay, so here's our next polarizing piece of advice. Eat before you go out to avoid overeating and snacking. This one I feel like it can be fact or fluff depending on the person. So the logic behind this is that if you eat before you go out, you won't be hungry or as hungry, and you'll be more likely to stick to portions and avoid junk food. They've never met me. I feel like this is a lot harder (laughs) in practice than in theory. Yeah. So, like, if you're going out, your friends are eating, you're socializing, if you're having alcohol and someone orders a bucket of fries... If your favorite snack is on the table, those are things that your brain might be saying, you don't need this, but your eyes are going, ooh, french fries. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole part of like socializing, right? Food is a big part that, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether you're at a friend's house or you're going out to eat or whatever, it's it's a big part of that. And we're kind of wired that food makes us feel connected to the people around us. So to eat or not to eat, that is the question. So if you know that eating beforehand will keep you full and you won't succumb to temptation, then eating beforehand is a great option. Plus, it could even save you some money if everyone else is ordering food and you're not. However, if you are more likely to give in to snacks, wings, or pizza, or whatever it is that you're eating, you're probably better off to plan for it in your day, account for it if you're counting macros, and make it fit. So personally, I will always give in. Like you mentioned, the bucket of fries, as soon as you smell that, I'm in. I also don't want to be the one person at a party or out to eat that isn't eating. It feels awkward. It's just weird. You know, partake. You're there to enjoy and be present in the moment. So there's no reason not to account for it. Well, that comes back to our whole premise of the show of making life fit. So you and I went out with a friend on Sunday and we decided that we were going to split a basket of fries. Mm -hmm. For me personally, watching you two eat a basket of fries without me would have sucked. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you're like, it is something that kind of connects you and it's part of our culture. So just remind yourself that if you snack on a basket of fries once in a while, it's not going to be the end of the world. For me, I do personally find that if I drink more water before I eat a meal... I am less likely to snack just because it does fill me, especially if I have something like a liquid IV or a hydrate from coffee over cardio, those things with the flavor, it does help. I also think if I do have a small snack before like our Super Bowl party, Mm -hmm. I might snack a little less, but if someone puts nachos in front of me, you know, there's a good chance I will succumb. Yeah. I, I acknowledge that. And <laughs> I also just, if I make that decision in the moment, you know, either for going to a party and I think that's going to happen, I'll run an extra mile beforehand or I will make the decision, okay, I'm going to have this and then I will account for it moving forward. Yeah. So what's the takeaway for this one? Comes down to personal preference. It is a fact if you can commit. I do think that requires a lot of self-control that Mm -hmm. I will not claim. I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, let's talk about this next topic. What about the concept that everyone should be taking 10,000 steps per day? It can't hurt, but why do you think 10,000 is the magic number? So I saw two answers for this one. One from a researcher at Harvard that said 10,000 steps was likely due to marketing. Oh. So yay for our careers, I guess. (laughs) The other was from Fitbit, which starts all users at the recommended 10,000 steps per day. The research from Harvard said that a Japanese company created a pedometer back in the 80s and named it so that it translated to 10,000 steps meter. And the characters that they used in Japanese language look like a person walking. So that's what the letters for 10,000 steps look like. Okay. So this is interesting because I was told by many different people growing up that it was always the American Heart Association who recommended the 10,000 steps. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they might have very well taken it from this company. That, yeah. So Fitbit's reasoning was a little more scientific. According to them, 10,000 steps should work out to be about five miles and include 30 minutes of exercise, which would get you to the CDC's recommended 150 minutes of exercise per week. So then, hypothetically, as long as you're exercising 30 minutes a day, you should be good, right? Yeah. Walking more does have plenty of benefits, but that researcher from Harvard actually went on to do a study, and she saw improved health in the subjects that walked closer to 5,000 over 2,500 steps. So more is better. Yeah. Short answer, moving more is healthier, but if you're only taking 6,000 steps a day, you're not missing out as long as you're still keeping up on your exercise. That makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) You're not glued to your watch going, I need 5,000 more. You know, honestly, probably about the only time that I hit 10,000 steps a day routinely was back in college when I went to Europe on a trip and we walked everywhere, including like I walked the full Eiffel Tower one day. And that day I easily, I think I hit 20,000 that day. (laughs) I will start this with, I warned him. Shane was not happy with me when we walked Athens last summer. (laughs) It was 23,000 steps, 12 miles. Oh my gosh. And he did it in flip-flops. Oh, that's the one time when walking more would hurt. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Poor Shane. He was warned. (laughs) He was warned. Yeah, that's on him. He should have bought better shoes. Okay, so I think this is our last one, and it's another one that I just love. But on the topic of being healthier overall, this last one is more of a clarification than a busted myth. But how many times have you seen someone say on Facebook or heard them say, muscle weighs more than fat? This is one you get so... I've seen you get annoyed by this one. (laughs) You can hear it in my voice right now. Well, okay, so this comes from the saying... That sometimes when someone starts training or losing weight, they'll reach a point where the scale's not going down anymore. Or maybe it even goes up. And they're really disappointed by what they see, a stall or a lack of progress. And there's usually well-intended meaning behind it when someone says this, that they say, muscle weighs more than fat. That explains why you're gaining weight or why you're not losing weight. But muscle doesn't weigh more. A pound of muscle weighs the same as a pound of fat. They both weigh one pound a.k.a. 16 ounces, a.k.a. just under half a kilogram. Yeah, it's the same concept as the riddle that... I know I heard this growing up. I don't know if you ever heard this one, but you'd get asked what weighs more, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers, and everyone always immediately answers feathers. They're lighter, right? But it's like you have to think about it. A ton versus a ton is the same. Still a ton. Yeah. So 
Weight is weight. Muscle doesn't weigh more than fat. It's more dense, which means it occupies less space or volume in your body. Compare that with fat, it occupies more space or volume in the body. So that's why when it comes to losing weight, you should be looking at body composition and measurements more than the scale. And really, you should only rely on the scale for trends versus exact numbers, but I've talked about that before. (laughs) So cheers for non-scale victories. Exactly. So I think we could go on for plenty more topics. I actually see more on our list of facts or fluff, but maybe we do a part two for this someday. For now, I think we put a pretty good dent in these. I do too. Let's do this again soon. And maybe this week's question will help us with ideas for part two. We want to know what is one health or fitness myth that you have busted. Let us know on our Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time. Bye. Bye.